everybody. Welcome to the Brian Janikowski final podcast for 2017. It's Friday, December the 22nd. I'm Christian Thwaites. I'm Emily taken and let's get started, Christian. So we would be remiss to not mention that today uh, President Trump signed into law um, what is been referred to as the, the GOP tax cut bill. Um, so, you know, we've kind of read it and you kind of read it as a major tax cut for corporations. Are there specific sectors um, that benefit more from this uh, decrease in corporate tax rate? Yes, there probably are. Uh, I mean, these are still early days, and there's a lot of moving parts to these tax changes. There are some cuts in some areas, there are obviously increases elsewhere, and it it, it will be interesting to see how they kind of fall out over the next six, nine months. But the the rule of thumb is we're going to be looking at uh, companies and industries where they have a high they're paying a high effective tax rate. What do you mean by high? Over 25%. The corporate tax rate is 35%. No one really pays that. Um, So anything over 25%. So the big companies are uh, energy companies, uh, industrials, uh, and consumer discretionaries. You think of consumer discretionary like a like a retail store, it, it, it maybe doesn't have a lot of capital expenditure. It doesn't. It's got fairly low expenses in terms of uh, wages, um, relatively low margins. So it hasn't got a lot of offset capability, and obviously no overseas earnings. So those are the obvious ones, and we've already seen some of those run up, um, partly because of the uh, of the savings which they're which which they're likely to get from the from the. Um, from the decrease in the corporation tax, and the other one which we've always talked about is the smaller cap area, with kind of more domestic facing. But we ran some numbers actually, and uh, sort of looked at the sort of three thousand smaller companies who fall below the S and P five hundred. A good chunk of them, nearly a thousand of them, don't make any money at all. Uh, I mean, think of a biotech company, which uh, you know right. is essentially sort of running an R and D department until it until it uh, you know right. creates an event, an FDA event which creates a product which they can then sell. So uh, a lot of these companies just simply don't make uh, any money at all. So the corporation tax, even in that area, may be uh, a little bit overstated. So again, we just got to kind of see how it all falls out uh, and the balance between the corporation tax and all the personal tax cuts as well. Right. And we've obviously seen in the run-up uh, through this process of moving the tax bill through Congress that the stock market has um, been driven higher and higher. But I want to focus on and talk to you about the bond market, which the response was much more muted than the than, than equities. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what this means um, in terms of, of investors seeing uh, you know, the prospects of, of long-term higher growth. This is a real puzzle because we're ending 2017 with the 10-year rate around about 245, 250, same as it was a year ago. Uh, and you would expect that if if the, the tax bill passed, so that increases the deficit by about 1.4 trillion over 10 years. Right now, the deficit is about 20 trillion, so it increases the deficit by you know about uh, 15%. Um, so be more more uh, higher deficits, therefore more you know, treasury supply. All things being equal, um, and that you would expect it to uh, accelerate growth. So move it from say the two point two percent GDP growth we're likely to see the calendar twenty seventeen to 
more like three, uh, and increase some inflation as supply tries to catch up with demand and there's either wage push inflation or cost pull inflation, or the other round, I can't remember which it is, but uh, either way, you need to see some inflation. So all of which would affect the highly sensitive 10-year rate. Not a bit of it. It hasn't moved at all. And it suggests to me that if they get the growth, the Fed will cut it off uh, with, uh, with a Fed funds uh, increase. And if they get the inflation the same, um, and uh, if it's just asset price increase, in other words, if those, if those cuts in corporation tax just flow through to dividends, uh, uh, dividends and share buybacks, i.e. to shareholders, that's just an asset price increase, which only really affects the more wealthy of the, of the economy, and that's likely not likely to lead to general inflation. It might lead to more asset price inflation. But I think the, the, the bond market has sort of put all those together and doesn't really see... Uh, you know, the chances for uh, a lot of high growth. Now, some people think, would take a co completely different opinion than us and say, well, the, the bond market's got to catch up. Stocks mm. are ahead. Inflation might, you know, it's just around the corner. It's been just around the corner for about 10 years. But, uh, you know, wages are going to come again any minute now, which I don't think they will. Uh, but the but the bond market's behind the curve on this. And I, mm. I just don't think so. I think that the bond market's probably, you kind of ignore it at your peril. And I think it's saying that, that, that the growth will still be hard to come by. And if it does come at all, uh, there might be some inflation with it and the Fed will just uh, take action against it. Now, this is kind of an interesting question because those two scenarios that you had said, what, you know, in terms of, of if we get the growth and we see the growth in the tax cuts or if we don't, wouldn't there be possibly more of a risk of uh, some sort of triggering of a recession if we do see the growth and then the Fed pulls, uh, pulls back? Well, I, I think the, the Fed doesn't want to induce a recession. It just wants to signal that if there, you know, if there is inflation, um, and remember they got they've got two two goals: inflation, PC inflation, which is a very difficult one to move, and and unemployment, and they're beating the employment numbers, and they're undershooting the inflation numbers. So I I think they're just going to more more sort of ratchet up very very gradually. They don't want to sort of you know cut it dead in its tracks at all by creating a recession. But you know we're We've gone a long number of quarters uh, without any any recession, as defined by two consecutive quarters of negative growth in GDP. So we're a while away there, but I just think that the bond market is basically a little bit more skeptical mm -hmm. about the growth impact of this tax plan than right. the stock market and most politicians. And it sounds like you agree that you know we're looking at potentially long-term low-growth scenarios. I mean, what do you see? We've talked a lot about this this over this entire <coughs> year, um, but what do you see? Um, you know, those those significant factors contributing to growth. Is it wages? Is it productivity? Um, in terms of contributing to the low growth that we're seeing, I, uh, I think it's those two, and then it's demographics. I mean, we put in a chart right. last week which we didn't get a chance to talk about, but which showed that in labor force participation has fallen every every coat age cohort, including the highly sort of productive 25 to 54 cohort, except for the 54 and over cohort. So that suggests that, uh, you know, boomers, instead of retiring, which you'd expect the participation rate to, to lower down, given their, mm. their bulge in the, in the overall population, 
are actually staying on and people who should be working uh, and and have a higher participation are not so there's that there's the de there's the demographics of you know, simply people not working there's the demographics of household formation is taking longer uh, to come about people are postponing it and postponing it um, and look I think uh, you know w wage growth is going to be incredibly difficult to come by mm -hmm. I know the argument that there seems to be a shortage of wages the NFIB has said they have difficulty finding people, which they've said for years, but they don't end up actually increasing the wages of the people mm -hmm. that they want to attract uh, or have already. So, um, and we saw it just just this week when, you know, AT&T, interestingly enough, said we're going to give a $1,000 bonus to 200,000 employees. Well, that's great, but a bonus is not the same as a wage increase. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, you, you know, a bonus might get saved and... Um, and, you know, this might just be catch up. I haven't been really following pay at AT&T, but, you know, it may, it may be that, that for many years they really haven't had any increases at all. So I, I think that's the position that, you know, that labor is in a position of, of not being particularly powerful in the in the mix and companies really don't have to pay for, uh, you know, for, for robust wage increases. And you mentioned these demographic problems. Is there a way to overcome these demographics? <laughs> uh, I think there are. I mean, this is kind of outside my comfort zone a little okay. bit, but obviously, um, uh, you know, you, the quickest way to get uh, um, uh, population growth going, if that's the quickest way to get GDP growing, is to import more people, which is essentially, mm -hmm. you know, a relaxation of immigration. But we're, uh, that's not really the zeitgeist or the public spirit, you know, in any way right now. Um, I, I think some sort of relief on on uh, things like student debt, which you know has climbed from two hundred and fifty billion to one point two trillion in the post uh, financial crisis era. That's that's leading you know to to problems. Um, so the you know demographic problems are a, a long time coming, but they have a very inevitable effect on them. They're like mm -hmm. some glaciers; they move slowly, but they carve a big ravine and uh, I think this is going to be you know difficult difficult to reverse and uh, the tax cut may lead to a short-term spurt in growth but I'm not sure how sustainable it will be even if it comes at all. Mm. I want to move to uh, kind of discussing what we saw uh, at the S&P this year the stock market um, you know we, we had a great year I think as of today we're up 19 percent on the S&P um, and, you know, my question is, is that we've talked a lot about this um, in terms of currently seeing the earnings supporting the valuations. Mm -hmm. Do you see that continuing um, into the new year? I, I think we're going to have another couple of good quarters of, of good earnings growth, for sure. Um, part of that is, again, this base effect. Remember, you know, energy stocks were really sort of coming off a very deep recession in 2013, 2014, and the rest of the economy had been like that, would have been in serious trouble. So those those are coming back now, you know, with oil settling in the mid-50s range and uh, a lot of still workouts to do that. So that will be good for earnings overall. I think the slightly higher increase in the Fed funds rate will help the banks, so we'll see better earnings there. And for sure, the corporation tax is going to come through um, let's see, uh, it'll come through for March 31st numbers, so they'll be reported in April, May. Uh, companies like Berkshire Hathaway, which has, I think, has an $8 billion tax bill, you know, all 
and with a lot of domestic businesses, you know, might see a 20% gain on that. So, you know, talking about $2 billion in earnings coming straight through to Berkshire's mm -hmm. bottom line, it's about 15% increase. <coughs> so all of that, I think, will be relatively favorable, you know, going into the first and second quarter. And th those are, you know, hopefully there's a fair degree of clarity and visibility on those earnings. The question is, how's the market going to value them? Uh, because okay. a lot, a lot has uh, been priced in. I, I'm, we're not sort of calling for any correction at all, right. but uh, but you know the market has done a lot of heavy lifting this year. It's up 20 percent, 21 percent, as you said, and uh, you know Nasdaq's are more like 30 percent, and uh, you know the the Fang stocks. I hope I hope we have, I hope we can stop using that word uh, in 2018. Are more like you know up 50 percent, as you know. That's right. Um, and just <clears> lastly, <throat> I, I want to turn. Uh, to international markets, um, you know, because we saw a great year for them as well, especially in the emerging markets. What do you see some of the the risks uh, there going into the new year, and do you see that kind of success continuing in those markets as well? I do. I think I think uh, Europe and emerging markets and Japan, which we've talked about a lot this year, are still in relatively good shape. Uh, Europe still has a lot of catching up to do. The Eurozone is sort of, you know, mending itself. It's still got QE in place. We've had some of these political fractures, although today's Catalan vote mm -hmm. might disrupt things a bit, but generally that's in, in, in relatively good shape with an Italian general election early next year. It's kind of like all getting back on, 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 uh, you know, back, back, um, on pace. And I think the euro has been the strength of the euro has been very good for dollar investors this year. I don't think we'll see the same sort of gains, but but generally uh, I think the the European stock markets look relatively attractive, you know, both to themselves uh, relative to other markets, relative to what you can get in bonds. And emerging markets really hangs on Japan, uh, but global growth is in in pretty good shape. We don't you know it's been synchronized as it was in 2017 for the first time in a long time. And don't really see any sort of major, you know, threats on the horizon. Um, I mean, there's plenty of risks. We're always climbing a wall of worry in investing. But I think generally in emerging markets uh, have a lot of catch up to do. We've had one strong year of outperformance. But if you and I were having this conversation a year ago, and I think we probably did, uh, we were looking at five or six years of you know, chronic underperformance. Mm -hmm. So there's still a, a fair amount of catch up, which we, which I think is still possible in those markets. Well, thank you very much, Christian. I have uh, very much enjoyed our chats this year. And thanks to you all for hanging with us and listening to us this year. Please continue to send your questions um, under the comment section of uh, at the in the iTunes store. Um, or just leave us feedback on anything that we can improve on or stuff that you like. So thank you very much. Yes, and please please leave those comments on the iTunes store, even though your Apple might be working slower than usual today. Um, <laughs> Do you hear what they did? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that really helps us uh, make our, our, our product and services better and also keeps us um, in, in the search engines. Okay, thanks very much for both of us, and we'll catch up in 2018. Here's the disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments, investment strategy, the data's commentary, is subject to notice without change. We cannot show the type of investment stress in this commentary without forming any other investment strategy in the future. No one can guarantee that such an investment will present the best or attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. As for general information purposes only, reference to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. 
Securities mentions commentary only for several of successful and unsuccessful investments by us. Do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable sources of statistical information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements, numerical data, past performance, and no indication of future results.